Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Joy of Financial Planning podcast. The topics of this podcast are a complement to the book, Joy of Financial Planning, available in stores including Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. Joy of Financial Planning is about the belief that we can overcome the unique economic and life challenges we face as a generation by first getting our financial house in order. In fact, we have no other choice. Now more than ever, we must grow our wealth, follow our passions, live with compassion, and find a way to achieve a personalized version of the American dream. Just as it has been in prior generations, the ideal of the American dream is being challenged, not just because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, but because of the callous murder of a fellow black man, George Floyd, that we all got to see. The example of his abuse, and that of many others, cuts through the core of the American dreams I have believed in all of my life. I have a persistent belief that all are created equal, worthy of respect, deserving of opportunity, and the ideals of the American dream live inside all of us. I thank you for supporting dreams, your dreams, by listening to this podcast. The purpose of this content is to educate listeners and for them to inform others. This episode is part of a series of recorded Zoominars from my Jason Howell Company YouTube channel. That's where you'll find the video versions. In my business life, my wealth management firm collaborates with many experts. Together, we transform regular investors into patriarchs and matriarchs of their families and their communities. This episode features some of that expertise. Please send your feedback to jason at jasonhowell.com and give this episode a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts, if that's the kind of thing you do. For more about my unique brand of family wealth management, just go to jasonhowell.com. And now, navigating private philanthropy during COVID-19 with Peter Lipset of Donors Trust and Catherine Schott-Murray of Odin, Feldman, and Pittleman, PC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Jason Howell Company Zoominars, where we talk with experts that are oh so helpful during this pandemic. Uh, thank you so much for being here. If you give me a second, I'm going to go ahead and let people in from the waiting room that are all waiting to join us today for a pretty spectacular event. Okay, so here they all are. Um, so everyone, welcome to navigating private philanthropy during a pandemic. Today we've got a couple of really great guests, and we don't always have two guests. We normally just have one guest. Uh, but today we've got two guests, Catherine Schott-Murray and Peter Lipset. Before we get into the whole formality of this particular Zoominar and their introductions, let's just meet them um, and let them sort of come into the room. We'll start with Catherine. Catherine, how was your day? Um, how are you feeling today? Thanks, Jason. You know, I think today it's Wednesday. So what is hump day at this point? Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people lose lose track of days. So I always wake up and ask what day it is. Uh, and some days are like Groundhog Day, but it's it's been a it's been a good day. The sun is shining. Uh, I'm here with you and with Peter and all these great guests. So looking forward to a great conversation. No, we're so happy to have you. And I yes, I always lose track of the day. I have to know: is it a Zoominar day? Is it a BNI networking day? 
Okay, if it's neither of those, is it pizza night? <laughs> so I definitely have tricks now. Um, Peter, exactly. <laughs> tell us how your day's been so far, Peter. It's been good. I actually went into the office today, which is not something I've been doing a lot. Um, wrote a newsletter to all of our Nova Society clients, which is our program for folks uh, interested in philanthropy who are under age 40, and we're engaging them and worked on my beloved whiteboard wall and kind of sketched out some marketing Very ideas. Nice. And I know, I love my, my, that's the thing I miss the most about not being in the office is not having my whiteboard wall. And then did a call with our communications team and uh, did some other staff calls and then ran to the post office to mail some stuff for my wife. And now I'm back at the house and here with you. Well, thank you for being here with us. It sounds like it's been a busy day for both of you. Um, so I certainly appreciate, and I know all the people who are here either via Facebook or Zoom and the future people who will be watching this on YouTube, we all appreciate you coming here to share a little bit about what you know, because um, we know you know a whole heck of a lot about philanthropy and how we can support each other during this crazy 2020, because it is a crazy year uh, and we do need to support each other. All right. Well, now that we've, um, we've said hello, I'll go ahead and share my screen and re-welcome everyone to the show. If you came to Navigating Private Philanthropy during a pandemic, you've come to the right place. Before we get into our program, let's have a word from our sponsor. So uh, Jason Howell Company is a family wealth management firm that helps key millennial and Gen X families essentially turn into patriarchs and matriarchs for their communities and for their families, people we need so much. Uh, we do that by equipping them with three tools. The first tool is a financial roadmap. That roadmap typically articulates about 40 to 60 recommendations. It shows them what they need to be doing. The second tool is an implementation guide. And this is the guide where we show them essentially when they need to prioritize those 40 to 60 recommendations. The third tool is a family constitution. And it really goes working with the parents and talks about really why all of this is so important. Not just about the money, but that the lives they want to live and the legacy they also want to leave. Um, in the future. We call all of this family governance, and for more about that, just go to jasonhowell.com. Now, we're pretty proud of our accolades that we've had over the years, um, but we're most proud of the cool relationships we have with people, uh, just like our wonderful guests like uh, Catherine Schott-Murray and Peter Lipset. So we'll start with Catherine. Uh, I've known Catherine for a number of years. I'd have to say it's almost more personal than professional, she is responsible for at least one formal date I have with my wife every year, uh, thanks to the Community Foundation Gala that raises so much money for so many organizations throughout the year. Happy to typically come to that in October, though I know this year it will be virtual as almost every event is. Um, but before she tells us about the Community Foundation and her great firm, uh, where we have sent referrals from our, from our business relationship, it's just really interesting to note how involved in the community Catherine is. Obviously a vice chair here of the board and she wouldn't be talking about the community foundation. Um, also with the National Association of Elder Law Attorneys, um, which she was just telling me about that before we turned everything on. But look at her education, my gosh. Uh, not only does she have a, a poli-sci degree and a Spanish degree, um, a law degree, of course, we kind of knew that and figured out as a lawyer, but an LLM and tax, which I admire personally, very much. Um, everything around finances tends to come back down to how does it affect your tax situation. So highly educated, highly friendly, Catherine Schott-Murray, uh, please tell us about the organizations you're associated with. 
Thanks, Jason. That was quite the introduction there. And uh, I really appreciate, again, being here. As you see on your screen, I'm a trust in the states and elder law attorney. I work with individuals and businesses and families to help structure and implement a plan. We, I think in these COVID times, more than anything, people have found that they, they want a plan. So we're doing anything from the tax planning and today's July 15th, which is tax day, which is a little weird to say July 15th and it's tax day. Uh, we're used to saying April 15th, but it's tax day. Uh, so I work with folks on the tax planning, on the charitable planning, on the business planning, on the special needs planning. And, you know, we are, it's from a community foundation perspective, the Community Foundation has been a wonderful organization to get involved with and to learn more about the community at large. I joined uh, the Community Foundation and started volunteering in 2013. Uh, I joined the board. I'm in my fifth year of service uh, and in my second year as the vice chair. Uh, so next year I will end up being the chair and it's a two-year term. Uh, the Community Foundation is just an integral part of the Northern Virginia area. And we'll talk more about what community foundations do and what the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia has done uh, later on in the program. Okay, yeah, we will, we will. Well, thank you, Catherine. Um, there's, there's so many layers. I wish we had a few hours to talk today, uh, not only about you, but your firm and the community foundation, but we'll get a little taste. And anyone who would like to connect with Catherine offline, sort of uh you could email her kind of weird to say connect offline but email her but that'd be a start right at least maybe you can get her on the phone and have some real-time conversation uh starting with this email address which is right here it's just her name at ofplaw.com and next we have peter lipset peter lipset i've known for a number of years um he's the guy that really got me involved in my church to my chagrin um, but what I like most about Peter is that he went to my alma mater, George Mason University, and not only that, he went to the business school, which is what I did um, through the business school, at least undergrad. Peter took it up to the next notch and became an MBA. But like Catherine, he's got that uh, bachelor's in poli sci, so there's something about having that, I guess, political, social interest that gets people into this area of wanting to support the community, at least in a um, philanthropic way. Um, other interesting tidbits about Peter, uh, not only does he uh, lead his company in the fundraising, he's also, and I want to hear more about this, um, a big part of Novus Society, which is a big deal in its own right with younger people that are becoming philanthropists. And uh, my personal interest in Peter, and I always think, can I ever beat him at this because he's got a big lead on me, is that he reads uh, biographies about the presidents. And after watching Hamilton, um, even though he wasn't a president, I think all of us would like to know a little bit more about our history. If you'd like to know more, just talk to Peter. Peter looks at everyone. <laughs> Tell us about Donors Trust. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, so Donors Trust has been around about 20 years, and we bill ourselves as a community foundation as well, but a little bit different from the Community Foundation of Northern Virginia. Uh, we bill ourselves as the Community Foundation for Liberty. Uh, our, instead of being bound by geography, we're really bound by a set of principles, a set of ideas. And so we work with organizations and donors all across the country, but all of whom tend to share a, a belief in limited government, personal responsibility and free enterprise, come at things from that more conservative libertarian uh, direction and really believe in the value of public policy and ideas and uh, public interest law and student groups and that sort of thing. And that's where a lot of their, their funding goes. Uh, we branched out 
$163 million last year to 700 organizations all across the country and, uh, and really work with a lot of organizations to help connect the dots between what they do and some of the donors out there. And as you said, one of the big programs uh, that I oversee amongst kind of just broad, more broadly figuring out how we grow is our Novus Society, which is a group of now more than uh, 50 or so uh, individuals and couples who are under age 40 and say, you know what, I care about philanthropy. I don't quite know where to start, but we get them into a donor advised fund and that gives them a vehicle and a structure, but then also give them some mentorship and connection and training and engagement and help them understand what does it really mean to be a philanthropist, which we don't describe as you know somebody who looks like the monopoly man, but somebody who actually thinks and approaches uh, giving in a strategic way. Remind me, Peter, did, um, did Stephen Curry go to Davidson College? He did, but he uh, he's he's a little bit my junior, so I didn't get to overlap with him. Oh, I, I still believe you're being a little humble. We all know you taught him everything about his jump shot, so thank you, Peter. <laughs> it's, made, it's been quite entertaining for all of us who are NBA fans, um, and thank you so much for being here. Uh, I really look forward to learning more about Novus um, and, and the organization. So we've seen already that there are a couple ways you can get involved in philanthropy. And um, I know we'll get into this with the two speakers where you can have a geographical bent, you can have a thematic bent. There, there are a lot of different ways and even underneath that would be more specific ways. Most of us are used to, whether it be our, our church or whether it be our alma mater uh, contributing that way. These two organizations sort of give you an umbrella option and different from a Fidelity or a Vanguard where you might say, help me donate my money um, at least they're going to give you some area of specificity so that you can have a few options, but not so many options that you have no idea what to do. Um, well, let's talk about that. Peter, I'll, I'll send this first question to you. Uh, what is a donor advised fund? So a donor advised fund, I often refer to it as kind of like a charitable savings account. You think of your health savings account where your donor advised fund kind of serves in a similar purpose. You're able to put money in immediately get a tax deduction for that money. It's as though you had given it to charity, uh, but then you don't have to give it out to a charity immediately, depending on what your strategy is. And uh, you can let it grow tax-free there. You can give it out immediately. You can add to it, et cetera. But then you've got this little nest egg of charitable dollars uh, to use to, for your philanthropy and for, for giving out. And you know, that's the, the basic structure, that's the tool, the vehicle, and anybody who's offering a donor advised fund is essentially offering that as a basic product from your big, huge Fidelity charitables and Schwab charitables to your smaller organizations, uh, like, or more mid-sized ones like what we have to the smallest donor advised funds. Um, where it gets interesting is, and we'll get into this a little bit more with the next question, I guess, uh, is how those donor advised funds differ and what they offer. Because different ones can have different focuses and different bends, different geographic locations, missions, et cetera. But the donor advised fund in and of itself is just a great vehicle for uh, tax planning, for timing out your philanthropy, for simplifying your philanthropy and giving you know, a little bit more flexibility. My wife and I use one and you know I like the fact that I can just put money in automatically every month automatically check it's written to my church every month. So I don't have to actually remember to take my checkbook to church. And of course, that's a very difficult thing to, to remember to do now. 
Um, uh, and it means that it's easy for me to look and say, how much charitable dollars do I have ready to go? When a crisis like what we have now hits, I can say, okay, we've got some in reserve. Let's get it out the door. Let's find some good places to do it. So just adds a lot of flexibility to giving and, and it's just a, a cool tool in general. I've always wondered, Peter, don't you ever worry about the little frowny face you might get when the usher comes down the aisle and that you don't put anything in? I just flash my chair of stewardship badge and, uh, <laughs> and I just kind of nod and, and head off. Oh, very nice. That, I guess that helps. Um, well, Catherine, uh, give us uh, your view on donor advised funds and, and how that might float through to the community foundation. So donor advised funds, everything that Peter said is, is spot on. Uh, it does give uh, an easier way for folks who want to, or who are charitably inclined to have one location to have their uh, charitable dollars housed. And so, you know, from those who might be, you know, hundred dollars here, 250 here, small amounts, and then you have to keep receipts. And then it becomes an administrative nightmare as again, we're on tax day and you're having to pull all those receipts together to say, well, who did I donate to for this year? With the donor advised fund, you've made as perhaps several donations over the course of the year to the donor advised fund. You get one receipt from your, from the contributions you've made to the donor advised fund. From a community foundation standpoint, community foundations are actually another uh, alternative that do offer the ability to house donor advised funds. Uh, and for those, you know, the community foundation for Northern Virginia, one of the ways that they, you know, they bring donors into the community foundation and those donors have the opportunity to either have their donor advised fund be local or, you know, go out internationally or nationally as well. So, uh, but the community foundation itself and what community foundations are is that they are grant making public charities. Their goal is to bring together individuals and families and businesses and the financial resources of those people to support local nonprofits in a local area. So for example, and you mentioned this earlier, Jason, the uh, community foundation for Northern Virginia in March, they stood up the COVID-19 response fund. And in a very short period of time, they raised more than $2 million and have granted more, just a little, well, actually more than $2.1 million. And they granted a little more than $2 million out over the course of five different rounds. Wow. Now you you held up earlier that the, there's a one pager that the Community Foundation has put out to show where those monies have gone. So it's anything from, you know, round one was assistance for uh, food insecurity. So we found very early that the local food banks needed money to fill their shelves. You know, round two was basic needs assistance to low income, uh, our low income neighbors. Round three was access to mental health services and dental health services. Round four was actually direct financial assistance through an intermediary nonprofit so that that intermediary nonprofit could grant out loans could grant out, could help pay for uh, rent assistance, uh, medication assistance. And then round five was focused on organizations that uh, were, all, were doing things to combat COVID, but also racial injustice. So in a, you know, since March, so that's a four month period of time, $2 million was raised from our local neighbors and put right back out into the community to, to nonprofits. Because what the community foundation is great about doing is they bring the nonprofits together and they really figure out where is the need and who are the organizations that can support that need. 
Uh, and so they have the nonprofits collaborate. They have the donors collaborate with the nonprofits. And so it's a really unique, personalized experience from, uh, from charitable giving. And we know and we find, and I'm sure you find the same thing, you know, both you, Peter, and you, Jason, that your clients are looking for that personal experience. And so what I've found with the Community Foundation is the ability to have that personal experience, to sit down with either donors or the nonprofits and, and, to, and to find out what the need is. You know, Catherine, you, you mentioned something that, that sort of struck me. I, I just recently donated to an organization. And I said to myself, my gosh, I need to put this in a, an envelope somewhere in my email so I don't lose it all um, come the end of the year. And are you saying with the Community Foundation's help, um, I might be able to say, well, I want to donate to this XYZ organization. Can I, you know, I've got money with you. Can you send it there? Is it that easy? It is. It okay. is. If you've, if you've set up a donor advised fund, but the other thing about a community foundation is donor advised funds are what's known as pass-through funds. Usually the monies are coming in and the monies are going to pass through out to another nonprofit organizations. The community foundation also offers the ability to set up an endowed restricted fund. So if you want to house dollars in a location, say, for example, through the community foundation and allow them to grow so that 40 years from now, and the community foundation has been, existent, been in existence for 40 years, but 40 years from now, you want your dollars to support a particular field of interest, you can do that through the community foundation. You know, there are funds already established, endowed funds for the arts, uh, innovation funds that are helping to seed particular innovation, innovative programs. Got so it. hope that answers your question there. Yeah, it does. I mean, thank you so much. I, it's, that's really interesting to me. And I think for most people who are finding so many areas where they're contributing um, this year that, hey, if, if you actually have a, a number in your head and um, you can meet the minimums of either of your organizations, it, it might be a way to, to streamline some of that. Um, and, and Peter, why don't you take up this question and then Catherine might come up next about how community foundations themselves, how they might differ from, you know, donor advice fund providers, or maybe they're not different. So structurally, you know, if you're offering a donor advice fund, you're offering a donor advice fund. Um, and they're structurally all the same. What gets layered on one big piece is, is exactly what Catherine was talking about, that boutique personal level of service that you'll find at a community foundation or a mission driven organization like ours that has a focus and spends a lot of time on that focus. You know, we spend a lot of time taking meetings from uh, different think tanks and student groups and different things across the country that we know our donors may be interested in, not because we have nothing else to do, but because we want to know what's going on because donor X in Florida may really be interested in that area. And we can then go to them and say, you know, hey, this is, this is something that you might be interested in. Um, because, you know, the act of philanthropy is more about more than just making sure organizations get money. The donors want to make sure their money is getting used in a way that, that they feel moves a lever and really makes society better. And so I think the community foundations and mission-driven funds are really able to connect those dots better than your commercial DAFs, which are offering a tool, but they're not necessarily offering those back-end boutique tools. They may have a, a database that you can go in and, you know, search for everybody who's doing police reform and you can punch that in and look at a bunch of organizations, but to have a partner that you can really work with, that's something you're going to get. It's something that's a little bit smaller. Uh, and I think that's, that's important. I kind of compare it to 
to you know driving a car. Like if you just need to get from point A to a point B, like a used Corolla is going to be fine for you. But maybe you like to let your wind hair blow in the wind, and then you need a, a a convertible. Maybe you have a big family and you need a minivan. So you get the car that's right for you. If you have an interest in you know conservative think tanks, you should come to us. If you care passionately about helping this local community, you should go to Community Foundation of Northern Virginia. Uh, if you're an evangelical Christian, you may look at the National Christian Foundation. So whatever the flavor you're looking for, uh, there is a donor advised fund provider out there that's going to meet it. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the minimums, uh, too, because we hear this and think, well, maybe I don't have enough money to set up a quote unquote fund. Yeah, they range a lot. Uh, for us, $10,000 is the startup minimum. That's why part of the reason we started our Nova Society, because we lowered that threshold to $1,000 to start and then $5,000 to start making grants for those younger up and coming folks. Um, I think Fidelity and Schwab are $5,000, but Vanguard's $25,000. Wow, yeah, big, uh, big, big difference. Um, well, maybe we've, we've answered that question about the Delta enough and Catherine, we can go to you and just talk about, you know, you mentioned it a little bit, how your organization has really stepped up here during COVID-19. What differences organizationally has, has sort of been imposed upon the Community Foundation of Northern Virginia besides that need? So I would, I would say that what COVID has done is uh, exposed a level of inequality uh, in our society. And so what the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia is trying to do is bring everybody together and through the data and collection of the data, give everybody the information they need in order to make smart, reasonable decisions, um, when it, particularly when it comes to your charitable dollars. From the nonprofit side, the nonprofits have really been hit hard. They, again, are looking at having huge constituencies now who uh, need them, uh, but not necessarily all of the funding that they used to have. Uh, you know, donors themselves have also been impacted by COVID-19, whether through asks. I'm sure we all remember very early on uh, how many emails we were getting from all of our different alma maters and all of our different organizations that we were involved in asking us to donate. Uh, and not, local nonprofits are the same. You know, they feel like they may be forgotten uh, with everything else that's been going on in the world. And so they're, the Community Foundation helps to continue to put them in the forefront of people's minds when it comes to uh, charitable dollars. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I've seen a lot of nonprofits have to pivot. Uh, for example, I'm a member of the Business Women's Giving Circle. And so our mission is to support nonprofits that are putting on programs for girls and young women uh, in STEM in order to promote STEM careers with young girls and young women. And a lot of those organizations, they were running their programs through the schools. Well, we all know what happened. And, mid-March is that the schools closed. And so these organizations, you know, are this year's grantees had to pivot. They needed to get those STEM kits out to their constituents. They needed to go online. They needed to check in. Some of them, the pivot was, okay, maybe we're not going to be able to have that face-to-face, -face, but I'm going to take the money that I have and I'm going to get gift cards and make sure that these families have food on the table. And so that's what the nonprofits are dealing with these days. Oh, and you touched on, you know, some of our 
our thoughts around that next question. So you may as well continue. How do you get attention and, and is a community foundation one of the best places to do so if you are a, a lower profile or maybe just a tiny nonprofit trying to survive and fight for your cause in the midst of something like this where everybody's got a cause in 2020? You're right. Everybody does have a cause in 2020. And I think a community foundation is a great place to start because part of our mission is to lead and convene the community. That's not just from a donor perspective. That's also from a nonprofit perspective. So, you know, they, they were, I, I haven't touched base recently to see, but I know they were having these first Tuesday calls uh, where one of the staff, the community foundation was getting on the phone with a number and they would go through and they had hour slots and they were sitting down with a different nonprofit every hour of that Tuesday, uh, business day, to talk through questions that that nonprofit had. And they would connect that nonprofit with another nonprofit. Why don't you two think about collaborating and partnering? And maybe, you know, here's, and here's a donor that perhaps might be interested. So from, again, it's local, and it's, but it's personalized. And so if you want to be actively involved in your charitable giving, that's where I see the community foundation and that's where I see the low profile organizations having the ability to find that donor base that could help them through these times. Peter, have you seen that as well, even in these more mission oriented nonprofits that linking up is a benefit to them? Have you seen that sort of this year? And would you suggest that for nonprofits that are smaller? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, in kind of the think tank community, like the non-human service community, they got hit just as hard <laughs> by all of this as, as everybody else. And uh, what's been exciting is to see some of those organizations pivot and, you know, take advantage of the opportunity to, to actually advance the mission that people fund them for. You know, a lot of our donors told us from the beginning uh, that they, they had a strategy. Uh, we asked them, or I did a big call to a number of uh, our folks. And I said, how is your giving changing because of everything that's going on? This was back at the end of March, beginning of April. And they said, well, you know, we kind of have a strategy. Uh, there may be some other things we're doing at the margins, but we have this strategy. We're going to continue giving this strategy, which to a certain extent is, is actually really good news because it means all those organizations that don't per se fit into the box of helping with COVID still are going to get funding because they're part of those donor strategies. Uh, and so I was encouraged by that. Um, you know, one thing we did, similar to what uh, the Northern Virginia Community Foundation did, was we launched a program called the Growth and Resilience Project, which was really focused similarly on quickly catalyzing donor dollars and getting them out into this think tank community for organizations that were seeing opportunities to advance things they'd long cared about in terms of regulations and different things, both to help on the health front and tear down some walls so we can solve the health problem, and on the economic front to help get people back to work, make sure that the economy didn't fall apart as well. Uh, and that was an exciting opportunity. And, and a lot of donors were kind of saying, I don't know where I want to give. I know there's opportunities, help us. And it's programs like what, uh, what Catherine talked about, what we were talking about, that kind of help donors focus. And it's a great role that community foundations can play of saying, we, we kind of have a sense of where some dollars should go. Give to us, trust us, we're going to get those dollars out. And, and it was exciting to be a part of that. I'm sure it was exciting for you, Catherine, to, to watch uh, and know that you're making this, this difference rapidly when a lot of people are floundering. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a very cool thing. 
Well, that was a critical component to the COVID-19 response fund is the dollars needed to come in and the dollars needed to go out because things were moving that quickly. Hmm. Yeah, so rapid response and and it really helps to have an organization that's been around a while, um, that has some infrastructure that can handle it. And that makes a difference too, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's one of the, the reasons, you know, if you're thinking about getting a donor advised fund, like go ahead and jump in, start building those relationships because when you have a, we can jokingly, we'll sometimes talk about a philanthropic emergency, but you can have a philanthropic emergency. You have money you need to give away. You have a, a cause that you really care about and you wanna be able to turn to somebody you trust to be able to help you get those dollars in a way that, that will change the world in the way you want it instead of just you know, giving money away for the sake of giving money away. Yeah. Well, I've got one more question on my list, so I'll ask everyone who's sort of watching um, here via Zoom or any other way, put a question in the chat, and, um, and we'll get to your question before these two amazing people have to go. Um, the last question I have on here, I kind of had this with the thinking about the, uh, the above-the-line AGI deduction for taxes for 2020, but um, I know, Peter, you had a, a pretty special thought about what's different about philanthropy this year, so maybe you kick it off, and then, Catherine, you can... Um, and give us your opinion as well. Yeah, and Kevin, Kevin probably has more technical things to add on some of the details, but you know, that CARES Act was just a, a, a Santa's gift bag full of stuff. And, and as you say, there was the $300 above the line deduction that even if you are not an itemizer, you can still take. And I have an op-ed that's coming out soon that kind of makes the point of like, you can give $300, <laughs> like find a place, take advantage of that tax credit, uh, our tax tax deduction and get $300 out the door because there's people that need it. Um, but there's actually talk in Congress of, of extending that from a $300 above the line deduction all the way to a $4,000 above wow. the line deduction. Wow. And that's for individuals for 8,000 for married, um, which would be, you know, working in the philanthropic community, that's a huge deal because anything that incentivizes giving we think is great, um, particularly kind of from the, the worldview that I've got of, of getting, letting private philanthropy crowd out government instead of the other way around. And uh, so I don't, that's a bipartisan deal. It's in-house and Senate. I don't know if it's going to come. Catherine, maybe you've heard something more recently from it, but, uh, but we think that could be really important because we are seeing a little bit of a drop off of some of these smaller donors. Um, some blame the 2017 tax bill that's part of it but that's not all of it it's a trend that's that's been going for a while and the more we can incentivize giving the better off and there's a few other things in terms of agi and uh businesses can now deduct 25 percent instead of 10 percent uh that was in the cares act so if you give through your business you have more room to do that and write it off um i don't know catherine you want to talk any of the other nuances well just just to be clear that uh the 300 deduction above the line deduction uh is not available if you're making a contribution to a donor advised fund. Right. Uh, but if you are making a contribution to a restricted endowed fund, that, that that's different. It's not a donor advised fund in, in that sense. Uh, but certainly uh, I agree with you that I think the, the proposals that are in front of Congress right now are a response to, in part to the 2017 tax reform act uh, where the standard deductions were increased. And so we had a lot, we had a lot fewer itemizers on their tax returns. And so for for those who were giving at the $50, $100, $150, range, uh, but they could itemize and they could get the da- tax deduction, the increase to the standard deduction, wipe that all out. 
And so nonprofits have seen a dip uh, from that perspective. So that would be great, great news for the nonprofits uh, and great, great news for donors as well. Uh, I think folks do need that incentivization to, to give to a certain extent. Although I always tell, tell my clients, listen, don't be, you have to be charitably inclined. Let's not, let's not just focus on, on the tax benefit that potentially comes from your charitable dollars. Uh, you, you need to be charitably inclined. So uh, it'd be great to see what happens in Congress. Fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, I think we've got a couple more weeks before um, CARES Act 4 may be coming out before the, the big recess. I think the House is maybe going to be extending their session a week to try to finish up what they're doing. And, um, and then the Senate may come in before it just becomes election season and, and nothing at all gets done. But it'll be really interesting. Well, um, everyone brace yourself. Uh, I'm gonna stop the share and it's gonna be all big faces from here on out. Um, really appreciate having both Peter and Catherine share just a little bit about what they know in this world of philanthropy. Before we go, um, I like to do this at the end just for people to, if they came in late or if they just had their brain sort of scrambled at this point, give us one tidbit that we should take away in this case, in the world of philanthropy before we go. And, um, and Peter, we'll start with you. Um, I was going to use the, the Catherine's answer to, to take my thinking time. You know, <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing that, that I talk a lot about is I think anybody can be a philanthropist. Anybody can be a giver. Uh, it doesn't require that you have, like I said, you don't have to look like the Monopoly man. You don't have to have a, a concrete building with gilded columns on it. You know, give $50 here, give $25, give $10. Uh, but, but start that act because it's important to make it a habit. And then that from that habit, good things happen. Uh, it grows, society changes and becomes a better place. You become a better person. But, uh, but there's a lot of good dominoes fall when you start being a giver. And so I'm sure many of the people watching this are giving here and there. Take time, figure out how do I make this a real habit, not just something I do willy-nilly, and, and grow it from there. I think that's, that's, that's the gospel that I preach in terms of philanthropy. Well, we love to hear you preach, uh, Peter, <laughs> all the darn time. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That's very helpful. Just give, give in an organized way, make it a habit. Catherine, any other thoughts on your end? Well, to piggyback on what Peter had to say, I, I do think that philanthropic giving is about relationships. And you, you need to trust the organizations uh, where you're giving your dollars and trust that they are using those dollars in the way that you, you want them to be used. And so, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean you need to be actively involved in the organization, but you should still know uh, who's behind the curtain, so to speak, of that organization, so that you, you do know and feel comfortable giving the dollars, so that if it, once it becomes that habit that Peter described, you have no problem just having it go on autopilot. Or if you want to get involved, then you have the relationships to get involved and the people who can direct you in, in, the, in the fashion that you hope build relationships. That's that's always a good idea. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Catherine Schott-Murray, OFP Law, the Community Foundation of Northern Virginia. Peter Lipset of Donors Trust. All one word, everybody. DonorsTrust.com. Uh, check these folks out. Dot org. Dot org. Excuse me. Dot org. 
Uh, I'll have email addresses for anyone who registered. We'll be able to uh, contact either of these folks to learn more about their organizations or about philanthropy in general. Uh, but thank you, Peter. Thank you, Catherine, for sharing some of your time today.